Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I just want to thank Abuna Yusuf and Abuna Luke for this beautiful opportunity to be with you. As Abuna said, the theme, uh, assuredly I say to you, um, is a beautiful selection. It's a great thing to choose this theme as like an umbrella theme to reflect on during the days of the St. Mary Revival. Before I jump into the verse, assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, I want to share with you a story. For those of you who know me, I've come to this church for the youth meetings. I've shared this story before. And for a sake of reminder, I'm going to share the story again. The story is from The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. The volume, The Witch, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It's a very famous story. And the story, in a nutshell, is about... Four siblings, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, and Edmund, who find a wardrobe in their house, and they go through the wardrobe, and they magically find themselves in a land, a magical land called Narnia. And in this mystical, magical land, there are amazing creatures like fawns, you know, like half animal, half human type creatures. And they're talking, and there are other animals that are just talking. And it's a very uh, important story that C.S. Lewis is actually trying to say a Christian message. He's trying to say something very important in the story. And in this story, you have a lion. A lion, his name is Aslan. Aslan in Persian, means lion. And Aslan represents Christ. He represents Christ. And Edmund comes into contact with the white witch of Narnia. She's attacking the land, and she's capturing the citizens of the land, and she's putting them in her courtyard, and she's freezing them. They're frozen, like statues in front of the courtyard, of the white witch and so she makes a temptation the white witch is like the devil she tempts Edmund with Turkish delights you know the nice Turkish delights she says if you betray Aslan and your siblings I'll give you some Turkish delights it's like the the garden with Adam and Eve and the tree very similar parallels and Christian images in the story And then he betrays them. And so there's a law in the land of Narnia that says, the betrayer is worthy for bloodshed. And so Edmund should die. But Aslan says, no. But I know a greater law in the land, which is if I lay down my life, they will be freed and they will live. And so Aslan, he offers himself, like Christ offers himself on the wood of the cross. And the white witch ties him to a table. 
a stone table, like our Lord was tied to the cross. She shaves his mane. You know, the lion has a beautiful mane. So she humiliates him. She strips him like Christ was stripped on the cross. And then she stabs him with a stone in his heart. And he dies. Three days later, the table breaks. It's like the stone of the tomb rolling and being removed. And who rises in three days? Christ. And then Aslan, he takes Edmund and Lucy because they're like the women that were at the tomb weeping and mourning for him, looking for him. And he took them and he went with them to the white witch's castle. And they saw the scene of all of those who were captured, frozen in front of the courtyard. And Aslan does something very beautiful. The lion goes to every single frozen creature that once had life and he breathes on them and it's as if he's melting them he's thawing them and this is an image of Christ's descent into Hades and then he releases all those who are captive in Hades this story is a story of the birth the death the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ why am I sharing the story with you because our message today is assuredly I say to you whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and this story shows us how slavery that the illustration it's very sharp image of what it would look like to be stuck frozen in a courtyard not being able to live a free life and the beauty is that you're freed after all of this redemption and all of this sacrifice that Aslan makes he dies He's, humili he's humiliated, he dies, he makes a journey to the, the castle, he frees them, and now they are free. It's a beautiful story of redemption, but it's pointing to Christ. So what is sin? How did we wind up imprisoned and slaves to sin? How did we get there? What is sin? The Greek word for sin is amarteia. Amarteia means sin. You know what it means in the original language? It means that you missed the mark. Can you imagine a target? Target has many circles, and then as you get closer, there's the bullseye, the center. And you can imagine anyone that is playing this sport is trying to use a bow or an arrow to hit the what? The bullseye. The goal, the target, is the center. So amarteya means missing what? The mark, the bullseye. The bullseye represents the virtues. The target, the goal is to live a holy life, a saintly life. So you can imagine someone is trying to shoot and do an action that makes them do the right thing, which is to do the virtues. The virtues are so many beautiful virtues, love, purity, like St. Mary, um, patience, kindness, all of the beautiful virtues that come with the Christian life. That's the goal. That's the target. But there's another beautiful word in our church. So the first word is amarteya, which is sin, which means missing the mark. The next word is metanoia. Metanoia means a change of direction. Matanya. When you do the matanya, you're changing your body's direction. 
But I want you to imagine it with the bow and the arrow. Because if I'm shooting and I keep missing, what does that mean? Something's wrong. What's wrong? What's wrong? Is something wrong with the target? Is the target moving? Is it too hard? Is it my eye? Something wrong with my eye? I can't see good? Is it something wrong with the bow? Something wrong with the bow? Or the arrow? Is there something wrong with my arm? I think it's easy to say that there's nothing wrong with the target or the bow or the arrow. But I think it's easy to say something's wrong with my eye, my perception, and something's wrong with my arm. And I need help changing my position, my target. I need someone to hold my hand and train my arm to shoot the arrow. It comes from Psalm 18, verse 34. It says, Teach my hands how to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Teach my hands how to make war. Teach me, O oh Lord, how to fight. Give me strength. Give me power. Show me how to pick up the cross. Show me how to pick up the Bible. Show me how to do the virtues, how to hit the target. You guide me. So if I see my son or my daughter trying, and they're weak, maybe as a dad or a mom, I put my hand on their hand, and I help them, and I help them stretch, and the kid gets used to my motions, my movements. This is exactly what God is doing with us. Teach my hands how to make war so that my arm can bend the bow of bronze so that I can hit the target. Maybe I don't have a desire. Maybe it's not that I'm weak. Maybe it's like my target is the other side or the periphery of the bullseye. Maybe my eye is looking to the edges of the target. I'm too focused on other things. So what naturally happens is I hit the wrong thing. I miss the mark because my eye is too focused on other things other than God and the goal. So, we need the guidance and the direction of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the church and of the fathers, the priests, who teach us how to do these things. It's a beautiful image. It's something we have to reflect on seriously. Now, I want to think with you about slavery. We spoke about sin right now. Let's shift into slavery. What is slavery? The most beautiful example of slavery is in Exodus. It's when you had Moses and the children of Israel under the tyranny of Pharaoh and the oppression of the Egyptians. And they went through all that they went through. And they made so many negotiations with Pharaoh to let the people go. And ten plagues happened. And then what happens? They crossed the Red Sea. He says, get your people, take your people. I'm tired of playing this game with you. Your God is more powerful than me. Take your people and get out. I'm tired of trying to match your God. I cannot compete with your God. So, slavery for them was a real outward thing. They were actually slaves. You know, this country, in the United States, we love very much freedom. Our country is founded on freedom. 
You know there is an emblem or a logo in the United States government. If you look for it, it's actually a very old image of this scene of the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea in the U.S. government. Our country is based on freedom. The founding fathers of the country put this within the mind of the country because freedom is a big thing in our country. The abolition of slavery, the, the putting away of slavery is also a very strong Christian theme. Christians were the first people to get rid of slaves. So we should know best. Why? Because we understand the biblical narrative and we understand our country that we live in. And we understand our spirituality, that we should be free. We should never be subject under any tyranny or any dictator or any power or any substance or any behavior because this is a tyranny. This is an oppression. This is a form of a slavery. And I don't want to subject myself to any ruler or power except the power of God. So what happens? Jacob and Joseph, they were forgotten. They, they forgot these people. They forgot the greatness of these people when they went to Egypt. Can you imagine? Before, in Genesis, they just saved the whole world. And then you look at the story of Moses and Aaron and all the children of Israel. They forgot who Jacob and Joseph was and all of that. They forgot that these people saved the world. I think we're living in a similar time. People have forgotten what set them free or what saved the world. What's very alarming about the story of the children of Israel is they wanted to go back into bondage. They wanted to go back into slavery. But you know, it wasn't like an outward feeling of, I want to be a slave. It was an inward feeling of slavery. You know what they wanted? They wanted the food of Egypt. They weren't thinking to be slaves of Pharaoh. They were thinking, my desire, my target is that I want to eat a nice meal. In Egypt, we had good meals. So my desire is what? Wrong. So now they are amartya. Now they are missing what? The mark. Now they need a redirection to hit the bullseye and attain virtue again. Our life, our spiritual life is the same thing. Maybe we're not oppressed by outward forms of slavery, but there are an inward battles and struggles against sin that makes us a slave to sin. We might be addicted to a sin. We may be attached to a sin. Use whatever word you like to use. The word that's used in this verse is a slave of sin. It's not an easy word to hear, but it's the truth. There are many snares and traps of the devil. There are many tricks and there are many strategies and tactics that the devil uses. I want to point you to the direction of a beautiful image that will help us understand this a bit more. There's this book called Plato's Republic. And in Plato's Republic, it's a book focused on politics and political freedom and political philosophy. But you can spiritualize it as well, the same way you can with C.S. Lewis. One is more explicit, this one's a little bit more implicit. In the Republic by Plato, there's the allegory of the cave. I want to remind you, you know this image, it's a very famous image. You have in this cave, 
deep inside the cave, men and women that are tied and fixed to their seats. They can't turn around, they can't get up, they're stuck. And all they can see is in front of them. And in front of them is a wall, and on that wall is a shadow. is shadows of, of things moving. And for them, that's their whole existence. That's all they know. That's all they know because they can't move. Behind them is, a, is another group of people, the puppeteers. The puppeteers are obviously using carved images of animals to cast the shadow on the wall. So for them, they think their wooden instruments are the reality. So it's getting a little better. One thinks the shadows are reality, poor people, right? Can you imagine your whole existence? You think this is real and that's actually not real? What if you saw the light, the real light, not talking about the wood fire? If they saw the wood fire, they'd probably get a heart attack because that's a big jump from where they are. Behind them is a wooden fire and behind that wooden fire is a group of people climbing out of the cave into the real world where there is the S-U-N and birds and creatures. And I want to take it one step further. We're in this world, this is our reality. But we also, in a sense, even in this world, are in this sort of same system. And I'll, I'll show you how. I'll show you how. I'm sure you've heard of the new technology called Apple Vision Pro. I love to think about the new things that are happening because it's scary. And it's pointing to something very similar to Plato's allegory of the cave. What is the Apple Vision Pro? Let me just explain the technology very quick. It's virtual reality, VR, with something called AR. You know what AR stands for? Augmented reality. Okay, so you have a virtual reality, VR. Everyone knew what VR was like five years ago. That's not new. What's new is the AR. The AR is augmented reality, which means if I put on this piece of technology, forget the phone now, forget about holding it, it's stuck to your face. Now you're really in the cave. Now you're really, it's prophetic. This is prophetic. You could see everything here, but I can bring a screen into this reality. I could bring an image, I could insert it next to Abuna, whatever I want to put next to Abuna. And for me, over time, this could be confusing. I might not know what's real and what's fake. Be warned and be careful. Be very careful. Don't be deceived and don't be tricked by illusions and fake things. Our generation is plagued with fake and artificial. It's even in the word, artificial. It's not real, it's fake. There was a movie that came out years ago sci-fi movie called Ready Player One. The youth will know. It was almost like a prophecy of this reality that will be here tomorrow. Why am I saying this? Because I think we are enslaving ourselves. I think we're trapping ourselves. You know, when someone makes it outside of the cave, what's their responsibility? To be just free? You're Christians. Technically, you are free. What's your responsibility? To just go live your life? No. Your responsibility is to go back into the cave and tell the world, this is fake. This is not the truth. And you should try to save as many souls as you can by persuasion, by love, by kindness. You have to do what Christ did. You have to descend 
You have to go into the lower parts of the earth. You have to be humble and you have to rise and raise people with you. That's the task of a Christian to go back into the cave without desiring the cave, without wanting to actually be there. That's why we serve. Do you think we want to be entrenched in problems all day? No, we do it because we know this is the way of Christ. That's your task as a Christian. So, there's this very interesting idea in science coming from a book from 1895 by a man named Gustave Le Bon. And he talks about something called behavioral contagent and social contagent. You know what this is? A contagion? It's contagious. You usually apply the term to like a cold, a cough, COVID, infections. It's a contagion. It's contagious. Stay away. Keep a distance. Wear a mask. Stay home. We all should know this. This is like very easy to understand. But what about a behavioral contagion or a social contagion, which means... I don't know, TikTok. You see someone do something on TikTok, everyone is hypnotized by it, and a million people are doing the same motion. People are under the sway of the devil. This is terrifying. It is very scary that we just go with the flow, even if it's a good cause, guys, like the bucket challenge. Oh, we're doing this thing where we want to raise money, and so everyone... Just take a bucket and spill it on people. And millions of people, just behavior, like the behavior, it's just contagious. Everyone's doing it, so just everyone does it. Did you ever stop and think and say one minute, just one minute, if I do this, I'm just kind of like, I'm getting swept. It's like a tidal wave is coming, and I'm just going to get taken by it. What if you said no? That means you're free. Just by saying no. It makes you the most powerful and the most free that you could ever be. Just to say no. These are small reminders. This was a slogan when we were in school. What is the slogans you're hearing in school today? Do you hear just say no? No one is ever teaching this anymore. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Black and white. Anything else is from the devil. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. I want to shift into another book that I read called How to Be a Sinner. How to Be a Sinner is a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. You must pick up this book. It's called How to Be a Sinner. It's a confusing title. Abune, you're, you're saying I should read a book that teaches me how to be a sinner? No. The book is saying something about the nature of sin and how to be in the right way, understanding our sinful nature. Today we prayed the Agbeya, and all of the language of the prayers is very tough. I the wretched, I the defiled, I the weak. It's very down. It's very confusing. Sometimes I start thinking, you know, what do I make out of this language? My, my, my self-esteem is low. My, my psychology, like I'm not really... I'll give you some examples of what is written in the book to help us understand. Sometimes people feel like, am I really that bad? Am I really that horrible? 
oh, this church and the Bible and everything that is like good, it's so judgmental. Why am I coming here to be judged? Why, am I com- why is it so negative? Wait, maybe I have another thought. You know what? I'm really liking this negative emotion. I'm really liking this negative talk. And it's the opposite. A group of people like, I really like to beat myself down. In a strange way, we were like extremes. What does St. Paul say? St. Paul says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one. No one. No one can say they are good except one who is God. That's from, from Romans 3.10. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, If we say we are sinless, we deceive ourselves. If you say, no, no, I'm good. No, I don't do any sins. I'm good. I did everything right. If you ask anyone on the street, are you a good person? You know what they'll say? I'm good. Anyone and everyone, even if they're doing anything. This was a social experiment done and maybe 90% of people say they're great people, good people. I'm a great person. But we as Christians, we know the reality is we were good, but we fell from goodness. I could be better. I know I I could be better. There's a difference between this and that. G.K. Chesterton, a famous 1930s theologian, he was asked the question, what is wrong with the world? You know what he said to the question, what is wrong with the world? When they asked him, he said, I am. I am what is wrong with the world. You know what our generation does really good as well too? The victim card. I'm a victim. Everyone's a victim now. Everything is, I'm a victim. When in reality, yes, there are people that are truly victims. But most people are not victims. They're just, it's like, again, a behavioral contagion. Everyone's a victim, so let me find what I'm sort of maybe persecuted in. And I'm going to put the blame on that. I'm not denying people of being victims. There are true victims out there. Unfortunately, if you get pulled over... Some people may say, what, is it because I am this skin color? Why? Is it because I am this or that? Or why are we talking about this other stuff? We're pulling you over because you took a red light. It has nothing to do with how you look and what you are and anything like that. You broke the law. That's why I stopped you. When they pull me over, they say, you're a priest? Oh, God be with you. Go, go. They let you go. One cop told me once, I'm already in enough trouble with God. Please have a nice day. Please pray for me. One, one time that happened to me. Uh, sometimes. And a bachet sometimes feels so There's a monkey story, Abuna, that I want to share. Like the monkeys are very interesting. They did a, a story, an experiment, where they catch monkeys. You know how they catch monkeys? I'm dead serious. This is real. Um, They put these boxes in trees, okay? And they make the hole of the box just big enough for the monkey to be able to put its hand in the box. And in the bottom of the box, they put peanuts. So the monkey wants what? It smells the peanuts. It grabs as many as it can. 
So the little hand of the monkey that went in was like this small. Okay? And then it grabs all of the peanuts and its hand is like this big. So what's the monkey trying to do? Take it out and it's not going to give up. It's not going to stop until what happens? The monkey catcher comes and grabs it and puts it in the cage. Guys, please, let go of the phone. Don't be that monkey holding on to something with your dear life so that the devil could just come and just take you. Let go, let go, so you can be what? Free. Let go. What's let go mean? Let go means this. What's this? What's this? We do this action all the time. What's this? Pray. When you do this, what's this? I'm fighting you. Are we fighting with God? Are we fighting with the world? Are we so bitter? Are we so angry? Are we what? Submissive. We yield. We give up. We say, fill my cup. Fill my hand. Fill my life. I can't do anything. I can't have freedom without letting something go. Let it go. It will be the biggest relief to you. You will be feeling like the weights of the world were removed from your shoulder. Go to confession, see what happens to you. It's a relief. There's pressure on us. There's stress on us. Even you younger people, there's a great deal of stress on you. And you're doing it to yourself. You're not a victim. You're just saying yes and you're not saying no. It's just that simple. Okay? Trust me. I want to share with you some case studies of people, types of sinners. We call them sinner identity. I'll read for you some of these three cases. And the Bunas see these three cases or these three types. I don't mean to put people in boxes and categories, but it helps you really understand sort of our way of understanding the sinner identity. There's this first case. Guy named John. John considers himself to be basically a decent person. He never seriously injured anyone. He's faithful to his wife. He goes to work and his job. He looks after his family. He is more or less honest with his financial dealings. He doesn't see the point of confessing his sins, though. Hey, well, like, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not killing anyone, I'm not stealing from anyone, I take care of my family. I don't see a point in confessing my sins. Sure, he tells the old uh, lie, or an, an odd lie, and sometimes stares at erotic images on the internet, once in a while. He believes in God and regards himself as just a normal, reasonable, average person. He sometimes quotes Homer Simpson, and says, I'm not a bad guy. I work hard, I love my kids, so why should I spend half my Sunday morning hearing about how I'm going to go to hell? That's one group of people. I'm just like, you know, I'm good. I don't need anything. There's a lot of bad people. Leave me alone. I'm good. So a lot of us can sometimes fall in that category. Case number two is Joanne. Joanne, this is a very different story, and please take this with compassion and love, right? And understand it the right way. 
she actually hates herself. She despises herself. Her parents didn't even want her. And they always bothered her. They always reminded her of that. They even said, we wanted a son instead of a girl. They rarely called her by her name. And her father was very tough on her and beat her, and sometimes too affectionate with her in an uncomfortable way. Nothing that Joanne did seemed to be good enough. Her efforts always fell short and her parents from what her parents wanted. In fact, she could not figure out what the expectations were. And given that they fluctuated between what they wanted and how unattainably high it was and how pathetically low she was, she sometimes cut herself. The idea of calling herself a sinner makes her actually feel sick. Although she knows the term well, it represents everything she's trying to move beyond because of all of the trauma in her life and all of the bad people in her life. Her therapist advised her to have as little as to do with her family and her church. Secular atheist or therapist. This is the victim card. This is a true victim though, okay? Don't, don't insert yourself in this story and make a, a case out of it. But this is another person that has a sinner identity. The third one is Bishoy. This one is uh, very, you know, different. Bishoy joined the church a year and a half ago. His name was Jim, but he asked his friends and family to refer to him by his new Christian name. He signs his emails with the wretched Bishoy. I, the wretched and the defiled Bishoy. He's participating in an unacknowledgeable contest with others who see themselves as the worst sinner. He has his clothes all in black and he has a beard, kind of like us. And he goes to confession, though not to his parish priest, but a monk 250 miles away because he has to go to a monk that's very holy. He can't confess to the regular priests. These are just average priests where, you know, I have to go to the most holy one because I'm the wretched and the defiled Bishoy. These are three different what? Cases. One's like, I'm, I'm good. I don't need confession. The other one, she needs confession badly, but her view is tainted and she's confused. And the third one is self-righteous. And they're all in delusion. They're all being played. They're all being tricked. They're all being fooled. No one's better than the other one. They're all doing, falling in their different problems. What's your diagnosis? Can you self-diagnose? Can these people diagnose themselves? No. They need to go to a physician. They need to go to a spiritual doctor. You need a father of confession. You need spiritual medicine. You need spiritual pharmacology. You need a canon. You need someone to teach your hands how to bend the, bro, the, the bow and hit the target. Some sins are mortal and non-mortal, meaning some sins lead to death and others don't. A cold is very different than cancer, guys. We know that, right? They're both diseases, but one is going to kill you and one is, you know, you'll get over it. You'll, you'll, you'll live. We have to remember that not every sin is the same and so I think it's just all, it's all good. Like at least I'm like not like that person. But all of the sins that we should be thinking about 
are my vice or my thing that's going to get me away from the target. That's the point. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it's packaged like. It doesn't matter. The point is, I got you to hit something else on that target and you're still a slave. And you're still stuck, but you think you're free. You think you're free, but you're actually what? You're still a slave. I want to end with a few more ideas. Don't fear the tyrant and don't fear the devil. Fear the sin. Don't fear Pharaoh. Fear your gluttony. Pharaoh is not shoving a hamburger down your throat. Pharaoh just wants to use you to move his plan, advance his plan. But you're enslaving yourself because of your gluttony. Your vice is what's making you want to go back to your sin. Don't be afraid of the devil. But be afraid of your sin. Do you hear that? Don't be afraid of the devil, but be afraid of your sin. I want to end with one of the beautiful quotes and one of the verses from the Bible. One of the church fathers, Abba Duruthios of Gaza, he said, How much joy and how much peace of soul would a person have whenever, wherever he went, if he was one who habitually accused himself, because the devil is the accuser. Now, he's saying, that person would have been completely free from any care. When you're not being accused by anyone except yourself, you free yourself. The devil is the accuser. He's going to keep saying, you did this, you did this, you're bad, you're not good. He's going to accuse you of, of sin and you get scared of that. But accuse yourself and see what happens. Do what G.K. Chesterton said and said, what's wrong with the world? I am. And do it with a pure heart, simple heart. And go and solve the problem by prayer and confession and all this beautiful stuff. See what happens to you in your life. Your life will change completely. I want to end with the beautiful verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. With the temptation, you will always make the way for your escape and your freedom that you may be able to bear it, that you may be able to get through the course of this life. Walk humbly. St. Anthony, I'll end with this story. He saw many traps in the desert. You know this story. He saw many temptations in the desert. He didn't fear the devil. He feared the things that he was weak with. And he cried out and said, God, who can be saved? And he heard a voice from heaven saying, humility will save you. Walk humbly. Walk humbly and let the Lord guide your life through the obstacle course. You know what it's like? It's like Christ was in front of him and he went around every trap. And all St. Anthony is doing is what? Just following him. That's it. How are you scared? You know the way through the maze. You have the, the, the puzzle has been solved. The code has been cracked. The combination is known. And why do you live like you don't know it? Because we're being tricked and fooled. May God give us wisdom and understanding 
to always remember this verse that can really save our life. If you know this verse by heart, just be simple. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, but you know that you have freedom in Christ, your life will change now. Not tomorrow, but now. And glory be to God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.